In Zero Sports, Icarus Canopies, now Gyro. That's right, we've rebranded, and Gyro is our next generation. It honours our founder, as that's the name we knew him by, but Gyro also marks the start of a new chapter. And not to be biased, but it's going to be fucking epic. Long story short, we're more us than ever. So if you're new to the sport, or even a Sky God Ninja Turtle, welcome. I think our valiant leader Lucy, Gyro's daughter, says it best. And we still got that fuck your attitude. <laughs> Rebrand! Woo! Rebrand woo indeed, Lucy. Anyway, head over to gyro.com for more info and get amongst your legends. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sew her a new one. What a sentence, and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Hey gang, so I got a new book out. It's called The Upside of Fear, and it's exactly what you think it's about. It's about the good side of, well getting scared. In it, we talk not only about the science and biology behind fear, but the psychology as well. And it's not just coming from me, it's coming from some of the best in the sport. Omar Alhijalan, Jeff Provenzano, Maxine Tate, and so many more have contributed their sometimes terrifying stories to the book to help you overcome your fear. So head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com. You're going to find the link to the book there as well as the other books. It's available in ebook, paperback, hardback, and audiobook right now. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Uh, I brought a, a fellow aviator, a pilot on in to sit and uh, talk a little shit with me. But this particular aviator um, is, he doesn't like microphones. They fucking make him nervous. So before I even ask who he is, I want you to take this, take this, take this. Oh, no. Yeah, so take that. And um, to, just to loosen things up, I want you to sing me something. 
I sing you? I don't. You tell me. You're the fucking musician slash singer. So sing me. I know. I know you don't know Major Tom how to play that, but you sing it all the fucking time. <laughs> Ground control to Major Tom. Yeah. Do you know how to play that? No. No. Okay. So what do you what do you know? Sounds good. Sounds similar. Yeah. Do you know any happy songs? I want something happy. Sing, <laughs> sing, me, sing me something happy. Okay. It's by a band in New Zealand called Catch a Fire. So and you're you're a pilot too. Sometimes. So, I mean, should I drop down and blow you now or? Not, not don't do that. Musician slash pilot and fucking all this talent and shit. You fly planes and all this. So I, I skipped the whole part. Uh, who the fuck are you and and what do you do? Well, uh, my name's Taihuka Smith. I'm Ta- Maori boy from uh, Hamilton, New Zealand, in the North Island of New Zealand. Maori boy. 
A Maori boy. Maori yes. boy. Ah, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, and right. and you fly airplanes. Yes. And you jump out of airplanes. Yes. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, um I I've had the opportunity to to fly uh, with you quite a bit now. Uh over all kinds of cool places uh, and uh, um, do everything from shoot approaches to watch you pee in a bottle in your tidy whities uh, <laughs> while in a plane. Um, yeah. But how'd you start in, how'd you start in aviation first off? And then uh, how'd you decide to, to jump out of a, an airplane? Um, well, we'll start with aviation. Yeah. 2011 it was. All right. 2010. Let's go back to, I, Went for the military, didn't get into the military because I had asthma as a child, uh, as a pilot. So I was going there as a pilot, didn't get in because they said, well, going back by your records, you had asthma when you were a little kid and we can't let you in because of really? certain restrictions. Really? Yeah. You couldn't become a Kiwi military pilot because you had asthma when you we were a kid. Even have an air, we didn't even have an Air Force. I was jets. just going to say. <laughs> they how, just sold their jets. How fucking picky can they be? Yeah. So it's you had Herx, you had... Orions, you had, you know, it was literally going around and saving people, but their restriction was um, if you're on a solo, so you they send you out on three days and you yeah. fly yourself and you have an asthma attack if you're asthmatic, which I was obviously as a child, then um, it's no good on them. But you so were no longer asthmatic as an adult. No, I hadn't been since I was 10 years old. I was 21 at the time. What? What? <laughs> That's what I said as well. I went through all the training, got what? through everything. They pass, a pass, and then they said, "Oh, actually, looking back at your records, how did they know you were asthmatic?" Uh, looking back at medical records before I went on to the next. Really? Place. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah. Dude, that that's pretty fucking in depth. So that was a full year, and that didn't work out. So okay. 2011, the following year, I uh, decided for commercial training. I uh, started that in February. And it was 18 months, and I finished that. And then got the day after, actually, I've, I got a job flying skydivers in a 182. Up so your, your, um, your pilot training was a lot different than mine then. You started from scratch and went all the way through to a commercial license. Yep. So I was lucky enough that we were in a – I was in a scheme that was covered by the government funding. So okay. So we got a student loan that was um, tax-free, thankfully. Now was this uh, um, was this something for all New Zealand New yep. Zealanders or yep. Maori or no all all New Zealanders so awesome. Was awesome student loan you can do uh, you can train as a doctor you can t- train as a pilot you could train as a pilot should I say um, and they cover and... the whole thing tax free as long as you remain in New Zealand so um, <laughs> okay all right obviously I'm no longer in New Zealand no. so I got to pay a little bit of tax on that but yeah fair enough she's all right fair it's enough. worth it but you ended up your first gig out was flying jumpers yeah that couldn't have been a plan though the following day <laughs> the following day you yeah. what like you so graduated I, and next thing you know you were flying you you got hired to fly jumpers it was jumpers. quite funny yeah wow. i um i did a it was about a 3 month course to be an instructor for flying so my plan was plan b was uh, teaching people how to fly planes. Okay. But flight, plan A was flying skydivers to get my hours up to then move on and, uh, you know, progress up the chain. Okay. Um, so I put CVs out into the various companies. Actually, the, the main one that I put my uh, my CV out to was Ballistic Blancs, where you obviously worked. Oh, uh, Davey and Kelly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. I put it out there and uh, what was that? What, uh, what made you choose Ballistic Blancs, by the way? 
well, it was the only 182 drop zone at the time <laughs> that was <laughs> pumping out proper proper, right. proper jumps. So, All right. No, um, fair enough. Yeah, it was it was fairly limited in the North Island of New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to try and keep it close to New Zealand. Um, well, close to where I was from. Right. And then obviously branch out from there if I was, if I needed to. Yeah. So um, Blue Sky Skydiving was a company at the time. Um, headed by a, a good friend of mine, Aaron, and um, well, a good friend of mine now. And back then, I obviously didn't know who he was. Mm. He calls me up and says, "Hey, uh, we've we had a pilot that was working for us, or well, that was you know lined up with us, and mm. he's for whatever reason dropped out, and right. we need to we need him to be replaced within the next two weeks." Right. We've looked. We've Marks around at the different drop zone. We've, and we've, we've checked at. everywhere else, and we have no one. So, what do you think? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we've gone to ballistic blondes. They're good friends of ours, and they've given us your CV. And you know, are you keen? So I went. Well, yes, but I've got this exam of mine for my CCATs and my instructor's rating. Um, this was on the Monday of the week, and on Friday I've got it. Um, if I pass the exam. I'll be there on Saturday. Seven o'clock in the morning, I'll be there up in Auckland, um, and I'm with you. <laughs> Did you know anything about skydiving? or No, absolutely not. But I knew that uh, a friend of mine had been flying skydivers, and you know I wanted to skydive myself, right. so I knew that flying would be a good way into it. So I said to him, I'll be there Saturday morning, um, if I pass the exam, if I don't pass the exam, one hundred percent, I'll still be there Saturday morning, <laughs> and I'll figure it out once that happens. Um, thankfully, I passed the exam, so it was all it was worry free, and um, yeah, I was there the next morning. And so the exam was so that you could be a, a flight instructor, exactly. If things didn't work out with the whole skydiving thing, yeah, and you exactly. had no idea what you were into for with skydiving now did you ever find out why the other pilot was gone i mean now you've, you've been nah, in it for a while because <laughs> yeah. because my first thought would be what the fuck <laughs> you know what happened to this guy that he ended up not in it now so you, you get started in the 182 drop zone did you start jumping right away well i wanted to um but we <laughs> but you were, were the only pilot <laughs> exactly yeah we were fairly short on pilots i was about to say um, there were three or four others, but they were all weekends, weekend flyers and obviously flew just, uh, for a bit of fun. All right. Um, so it took about a year and a half before I decided, actually, bugger this, I want to start skydiving. Mm. Um, got in touch with Aaron and he said, oh, well, as long as there's another pilot that you can, um, sort out to fly at the same time. <laughs> um, it was, it took a year and a half because it was going to be. Once I was able to get onto a plane with three slots available right. in a 182, which right. is impossible, basically, right. um, I would, you know, I wouldn't have to pay for it if I was able to get onto it with three slots available. Tough thing so, to pull off. Yep, it wasn't possible, basically. Yeah. And I figured that out eventually, and said, talked to Aaron, and the two of us said, "Well, um, we came up with the idea that we could just pay for the hourly rate of the aircraft." Or I could pay for the hourly rate of the aircraft. All right. Just go and do. So you're just buying the load. Yeah. Why not? I 
did four of my F jumps. My first four F jumps, I did it in 1.2 hours of flying. So I paid 400 New Zealand dollars and did four F jumps. <laughs> See, that's a good deal. And my two friends, Kitch and Aaron, like my boss and a good friend of mine, Kitch. Um, yeah, they said, oh, well, we're happy to do it for free. It's going to be awesome fun. And Fucking cool. And it's just mash it out for so, cheap. So you started uh, uh, flying jumpers straight out the gate as a commercial pilot, knowing jack shit about skydiving other than you wanted to go do a jump sometime. I knew absolutely that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you end up going from that to flying jumpers in a 182 and, and getting your, your license. But was this something, I mean, you, you were thinking, I want to go be a, and I hate to use this term, but people use it all the time. You wanted to go be a real pilot, <laughs> not yeah. just a jump pilot. Now, <laughs> this was this was when? How many years ago? 2011. So what's that? Nine. Oh, yeah, shit. Nine, nine years ago, newly. Is that the first time you've done that math? That looked like it caught <laughs> you off guard a little bit. <laughs> oh, God. It's two, 2020. Is this, is this new, not what you thought you'd be doing in 2020? Decade, <laughs> <laughs> cheers to that. You know, yeah. Here, yeah, here bro. Cheers. 2020. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, I, for one, can absolutely vouch for the fact that being a jump pilot fucking just jumps up and catches you off guard. Because if you had told me that I'd be a jump pilot for, what, 13 plus years now and <laughs> and uh, um, in skydiving for more than 25, I would have fucking laughed at yep. you. But here we are. Yep. You know, I, I never would have thought. And <laughs> <laughs> Unlike you, I'm a couple years older than you. Yeah, just one or two. Yeah, one or two. So uh, I've managed to decide this is this is my career. This is what I do. You know, I don't want to be a different pilot. I don't want to be a quote real pilot. I tried it briefly and fucking didn't like it <laughs> at all. Um, but um, I've kind of found a nice happy medium in what I do now, and I'm I'm stoked to continue it. Yeah. Um, but you now, you're nine years uh, into being a professional working pilot um it, did you think you'd still be flying jumpers and is this uh, what do you see for the future you know i mean is this something you want to keep doing or do you want to be one of these <laughs> one of these epaulette guys walking through the airport <laughs> i've been <laughs> it's a bit of both eh? i mean nine nine years is a long bloody time man yeah <laughs> it's yeah just, it is. it's disappeared on me that's why you look so shocked right there it's, it's gone from flying skydivers to flying skydivers to flying in the bush and then back to flying skydivers yep, and, yep. Again. and we'll get to that too <laughs> so um yeah i mean for sure um i agree it's a it is a it's an airline pilot it's the pilot of pilots Oh, not the pilot of pilots, but it's it is the pilot quotation marks. Yeah, that's what everybody. Um, when you say you're a pilot, everybody assumes that's what you mean. Yeah. They, they people don't they don't understand how many different facets of aviation there exactly. are. Yeah. And I've thankfully I've done a lot of uh, quite a few of those. Yeah, and um, I've absolutely loved them. Mm. And I would go back to each and every one of them in a heartbeat. But um, in terms of stability and career progression, I think maybe I'll. You know, I'll look into going into the airlines eventually. Is that the only draw to it? I mean, the money and the stability? No. Uh, money, not so much. Like, you know, money is it's not really a big thing to me. It happens if it happens, and if it doesn't, sure. it's fine. And as long as we're comfortable and happy, then um, all is good. But stability is a big thing. Uh, for me, especially working in the bush for three and a half years, I got used to doing month on, month off. mm um, so flying in for a month and then having a month off and doing whatever I wanted. 
uh, after a while I got used oh, I got sick of the living out of a suitcase sure uh, lifestyle which everyone looked up to me and said shit you're living the best life there is yeah, yeah. Um, but I got I got sick of the lack of stability of anything or lack of a base right so well and I'd imagine after a while when you're, you're hungry and you want to get something to eat and you've just got this vegetable gourd thing on your dick and you got to go <laughs> shoot some <laughs> some random deer in the jungle with your bow and arrow to eat that it gets a little old <laughs> by the way this is a, a bit of an inside joke uh, it, it, <laughs> he, he he hasn't let on that he uh, he was a, a pilot flying in Papua New Guinea yeah Papua yeah West Papua yeah so Again, like I said, the vegetable gourd thing on your dick. And yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that must have been some pretty fucking intense flying. You were in a pack 750, yeah? Yeah, I was flying a pack over there, both a caravan and a pack, the um, caravan EX. Okay. I did 250 hours in that. All right. Around about, but I was, for sure, I was the main, me and a friend of mine, Matt, were the main pilots in the pack. Yeah. Um, single engine wise, that's still my favorite turbine <clears throat> aircraft on the planet. I think. I've got a few, I've, what, six or seven hundred hours now in the auto, and I think the pack still drums the auto. <laughs> you know, I, I love flying the pack 750 as a uh, as a pilot. The idea of a stick yeah. is just a fucking it's blast. Um, when the pack is empty, it's super light, and it's got ridiculous power, yeah. so it does anything you want it to do, uh, mm. but I love the otter. The otter is beautiful. I mean, they both are. Yeah, 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 no, they're they're absolutely as far as as far as lower speed turbine aircraft go, and especially stole aircraft, they don't get any better than those yeah. two. Maybe uh, the Porter, but I haven't got any. No, no, I don't have any tailwheel so. tailwheel experience, and from everything I've been told, even uh, accomplished uh, uh, Porter pirate, pilot, pilots get scared by that fucking pirates plane. as well. Pirates, yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> Most yeah. Porter pilots are pirates as yeah, well. Yeah. This is my second <laughs> podcast today. There's been a bit of wine going on, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, so how'd you end up in Papua? I mean, that's a pretty fucking, that's a hardcore gig. Yeah, I was. I, I was, mean, they still eat people over there, don't they? Luck of the draw. Um, in parts of the world, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, I suppose. Sorry, parts of Papua, yes. I suppose they, well, they, the it world. wasn't how many, it wasn't that many years ago that they were still eating people in New Zealand. No, it was a couple of hundred years ago now. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a fair bit more recent in Papua yeah, than know. it was. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but for me, that was one of the things that I really loved about being in Papua is that what I was experiencing then in Papua was what my people, mm. the Māori people, were experiencing 200 years ago. Mm. So I got to see it firsthand. I was flying missionaries into villages I was and seeing them preach the word of the God and so on and so forth. And I uh, happened to walk off at that particular time <laughs> and go and play with the kids at the other end of the runway. But um, I got to see all of that. I flew that missionary and I saw people come from two weeks walk away. Really? Two weeks walk. They came. The villagers came. There was probably a thousand people that had come. A hundred of them would have been from the village that I flew into. And 900 of them would have come from two weeks walk Jesus Christ. to get to that village to see that person who was a messenger really? of God oh, to yeah. deliver his speech. Wow. That was insane. Yeah. I saw that kind of stuff day in, day out. But um, Well, it didn't, I mean, in in your country's history, that didn't end all that well for the missionaries <laughs> and the I people mean, there. No, it didn't. Yeah. Nor for us either. But yeah. No, no, no. And I mean, you could, that was what was scary because I could see that firsthand, you know. 
sure. in many ways. I was living the moment where people were being told and we were being told, you know, what the missionaries is good because what, – what, sorry, what the missionaries are, is doing is good because right. what the natives are doing is bad. Well, so actually, since we're getting off on that subject, I want to ask. So you've seen in the news, this was probably, what, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, the missionary guy that jumped off the boat to swim to the island to preach to the the uh, natives that had zero contact with the outside world. The and Amazon? like. I don't know where it is, to be honest, but I know that they were, no one is legally allowed to land on this island. It is autonomous. You stay the fuck away. Yeah. And he landed to go preach the word of God and they killed him. Yeah. <laughs> they they, they, I mean, bro, there's, there's they shot him with arrows and, and stabbed him with spears and stuff. And, and, uh, um, again, it was the, those, you know, those heathens got to learn. And, yeah, uh, exactly. They're rescuing them. Yeah, and then of course the next thing marks. you know is you have uh, <laughs> you have nothing but uh, uh, absolutely brutal memes that are applauding <laughs> the, the, the natives killing this guy, and I agreed with them kind of. I mean, man, there's there's a part of me that thinks leave them alone. You know, yeah. they're the last of the part of the world, yeah, the last part of the world that are living how they used to live. Sure, absolutely. Thousands well, of thousands of years ago. As they should be allowed to. Exactly. You know? I mean, it's... Um, you shouldn't interfere with that. No, no, no not at all. And However. It, <laughs> however, yeah. Well, <laughs> when I had the opportunity to live in New Zealand briefly and, and uh, in the Bay of Islands and spend time in the treaty grounds and learn a little bit about Maori history and stuff, it was very enlightening for sure. Mm. You know, and, and to watch people having Especially to... Especially up there. Yeah, yeah. And to watch people having to hold on so tightly to their their culture and their history because it threatens to be washed out with the rest of this, you know, cookie cutter world we got going on. So, yeah. Wow. We went off on a dark fucking tangent. That's nah, not dark. Yeah, well, it's just definitely more serious than this podcast is used to. I've seen real. you, I've seen you pee in a bottle at fucking uh, 13,000 feet <laughs> over the, over Egypt, over Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, because my. you were bloody messaging people in, Back home, <laughs> for whatever the freak you were messaging about, I don't even know what you were messaging about, but I was going, <laughs> "Oh God!" Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, you you ended up. I, I know we were re- refueling the plane, yeah. and you were in charge of helping refuel. And of course, no, I wasn't in charge. You were said, "Ty, <laughs> can you refuel the plane? Because I got to deal with this." Yeah, and I thought. Meanwhile, he, he so you you covered yourself in jet fuel. Yeah, it's uh, not just refueling the plane as in <laughs> normal refueling. It had a what was it, four hundred gallon? Uh, something like that. Yeah, four hundred. So we were doing bladder. we were doing a ferry. We were doing a long distance ferry flight uh, overseas, and uh, um, we had to stop for one of multiple fuel stops, and and uh, we were flying a twin otter. And had a bladder in the back to carry the excess fuel so that we could make it in just a couple of fuel stops. And so you hopped in the back to assist with the fueling and managed to <laughs> bathe in jet fuel. Yeah, bathe myself. Yeah, in jet managed fuel. to bathe in jet fuel um, to the point where when we were getting ready to depart, it smelled so bad um, that I was having to shove tissue up my nose because I couldn't because <laughs> I couldn't breathe. I, I did not know that. Yeah. 
because it was that bad. And, and so I told you as soon as we started taxiing, I'm like, get those clothes off, man. Shove them in a plastic yeah. bag. To which you promptly did exactly that. You stripped off the outer layer. What that meant was that you were sitting in the co-pilot seat, seat belted and harnessed in, in little tight blue underwear for yep. the entire departure. Now, mind you, we're on a proper instrument departure. We're, and you're in your underwear. In yeah, you're in your yeah. underwear. And so off we go. Um, uh, and up we go and, and I'm busy flying this departure. And as soon as we get past the really important part where I'm literally just following the line at this point, uh, I assume that you're going to be getting dressed at some point, but I'm busy. Uh, so I've got things going on and, and finally we get up to altitude and we're cruising along and, and I think it was probably, oh, I don't know, maybe an hour later, <laughs> Um, as we've crossed over and we're now, we're over open water and I finally look over and you're still sitting there in your underwear. <laughs> Completely comfortable in your underwear, um, and, and you stayed in those underwear until we were halfway across the Mediterranean and almost to Greece before I'm finally like, dude. What were the words that I said to you, though? I don't remember. <laughs> You're a stripper. You're used to people being naked in front of you. Yeah. I'm in my undies. It's all good. Yeah. No one else in this world yeah. has flown over it. In their underwear. At 30,000 feet, in yeah. a twin otter, in their underwear. No, no, that was, I guarantee that was absolutely a world's first. Not over, not only over Egypt, next to Mount Sinai, within a mile. Yes, oh yeah, within a couple of miles of Mount Sinai and you in your underwear. And then Cairo. And then <sighs> past the pyramids, yeah, past the pyramids over Alexandria and into the Mediterranean with you in your, in your yeah. underwear the entire time. Anyway, I took that box. <laughs> Thank you very much. And then we got to Greece and everyone thought we were a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Only so, because you said it, you put it in my head, and I thought, "Oh, uh, it was painfully oh, obvious." Man, you were totally not wrong. <laughs> for no, no, for 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 those that have not <coughs> met either myself or Ty, uh, he's younger than I am by quite a few years. <laughs> yeah, quite a few years. Um, and I appear older than him at the time I had my beard going, and my beard's pretty white. I used the other one. Yeah. Um, it's pretty white, and so we're sitting at this restaurant. Uh, uh, in this wonderful little plaza in Greece, um, having a drink because we've arrived in Greece. We have an overnight there. And so we're we're stoked to be there. Yeah. We're really, really enjoying it. And, and, uh, um, in Crete. Yeah. In Crete. And it was, it was very, very warm. And one of the popular drinks in Crete is like a a sparkling white wine, uh, because it's very refreshing. And again, it's when it's hot out there. So we order one off the menu and they bring it to us and it's in champagne flutes, um, with a bright red cherry dropped into the bottom of the glass. And as we're taking a quick selfie to celebrate the fact that we're there, it dawns on me that everyone that's walking past assumes I'm fucking you. <laughs> Without a doubt. It's like, oh, look, the old guy bought himself a young one. <laughs> and guess what? You had you were paying for that as well. I was. I you, was, yeah. You were paying I, for it. I was paying for every bit of it. Just not getting nearly as much out of it as everybody else no, thought. As every, as the rest of the population <laughs> That was that was very funny. Yeah. Oh, okay, so uh back to Papua. <laughs> So um, you ended up getting a gig in Papua with what? How many hours? I mean, how much flying did you done when you decided you were going to do this? Oh, shucks. What was it? I think it was about 900 hours. All right. So getting up there a little bit. 900 and they needed 1,000. Yeah, it was 1,000 they required for insurance reasons. Okay. So um, 
I got the job because I had 300 hours in the pack at the time. Mm. Um, and the aircraft I was, I was flying in the pack, as you said earlier on, was, was the pack. Right. And um, <laughs> they were struggling. They'd purchased an aircraft. It was on its way, and they were struggling to find pilots that had experience enough to. <laughs> so wait, wait. So for the second time in your career, you got the job because they couldn't find anybody else. Yep. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Whatever those powers that be are, hey. they're, they're lining it up for me. Yeah, man. And this happens to be the third job that I've gotten for the same reasons. <laughs> I'll just keep at it. Whatever I'm doing, uh, Dude, that's it must it. be good. That's it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they um, they get in touch with me. Well, no, I get in touch with them first. There happens to be a on, uh, what was it? It was a site, basically, that mm. throughout Oceania put out um, adverts and said, People with these requirements, we... Yeah, so just an aviation ad. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. For jobs. Yeah. I'm just going to have a little bit there. Yeah, that's quite right. <laughs> and, uh, mm. yeah, anyway, I applied. I replied to the email and um, they said, you don't have the requirements. But we'll hire you. <laughs> but neither does anybody else. So, so, so we've come up with a plan. You've got 100 hours less than what we require, so you can fly in the right-hand seat, not in control. For 100 hours. For 100 hours in Papua, because you also need to have 100 hours... In country. In country. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, for insurance reasons. So that actually, that's not so outrageous, to be honest. The boxes got ticked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's, that's not outrageous at all. And, and for those non-pilots that are listening, aviation, especially working in aviation, a lot of... What we have to deal with is literally just ticking off boxes, um, not necessarily on anything that's going to make you a better pilot or more experienced or more qualified for the job, but you just have to tick this particular box in order to be legally qualified because like a lot of things, uh, aviation is not run by aviators, it's run by insurance companies. Yep. So, well, that's cool, but then you end up in the PAC 750 in Papua, and my personal opinion is the PAC's an amazing aircraft, but it's also not a particularly great aircraft for the type of shit you were doing. I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, the the fact that you're landing off-field, uphill, and all these nasty runways and everything with a prop that on flat ground sits six, on, six, six inches yeah. off the ground, that's pretty fucking hairy, man. We didn't think about the six inches at the time, but absolutely, man. I always think about just six inches. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my fucking life, man. Thankfully, now that I fly the Twin Otter, I think about a lot more, a than, lot six more inches. than that. <laughs> <laughs> However, in your- <clears throat> I mean, it's uh, when I when I went to fly the pack uh, in Chicago, I went from uh, you know a five thousand foot paved runway in Yolo County in Davis um, to flying on a. a you know, 1900 foot uh, grass strip. And I was acutely aware that, wow, okay, you tap the brakes a little too hard and I'm literally trimming the grass. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah it's, Absolutely. Yeah. And that, yeah, there were quite a few strips that we'd go into that. Um, well, well, these things would be pitched up like you're coming and uh, landing in the side of the hill. And you, you've told me the story off microphone uh, and it always brings up the movie uh, Air America. I always yeah. think of that scene with I'd the porter. I've never seen that until I went to Papua. Oh, yeah. I've been in Papua for a year, and then everyone said, what? You've not seen it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Watch it. And for those that haven't seen it, it's this epic um, 
shot in the movie Air America with Mel Gibson and Robert Downey Jr. that uh, they're landing this uh, uh, Platus Porter literally on the side of a fucking mountain, and it's got to be pitched up 15 degrees at least. Ah, uh, more, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, they're landing uphill. Now, the backside to that story is I believe they actually crashed that plane on that landing. Yeah. Yeah, so that plane didn't actually fly <laughs> off of that. They landed it, they just couldn't take off again. But, uh, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I envision uh, you were doing. And I know it's not quite that intense, but it's still pretty fucking intense. I mean, it was – most of the places we were flying into were not that intense. But there were places also that were 200 meters, so what's that, 600 feet? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucking short. Something like that. Um, 30 degrees upslope. So when you're coming in on approach, you got committal points usually about a mile away. Um, so you're 300 feet above the touchdown altitude and there's 200 meters of runway in front of you, which looks like a wall. Mm, yeah. It's vertical. Yeah. That thing. <laughs> yeah. You don't see the perception of what the slope is until you're about, I don't know, two or 300 meters away. And then sure. you see your, your vision has to go from looking at the top of the runway to gauge your, your height relative to it to... The touchdown altitude. Yeah. Or to the touchdown point. Right. And um, in that moment, you see bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thing, yeah. That, that thing is really friggin' steep. Oh, yeah. Well, so when you were doing your uh, your 100 hours before you were flying there, did you go into any of those fields sitting right seat? Uh because <laughs> that would have been the most terrifying part for me would have been having to sit and watch someone else do it well that's what was that's why i laughed because <laughs> i nearly fucking died bro oh no i nearly died it was at the end of that 200 uh yeah it was at the end of the 100 hours not long before i was released into the pack by myself and we were coming into a strip um, with a with a really competent pilot, you know, I had I had no mistrust that he wouldn't nail the nail the landing. Right. But it was the most complex strip that we had to go to. Okay. Which is why we went there at six in the morning. Ah, we took off at six. We landed there at seven. So nice mild conditions. Yeah. So the winds start picking up from nine a.m. onwards um, in the area that we were in. So we land there as as soon as possible and um, we come in there we fly over low level we see that there's no wind we come in uh, which is an ex as well caravan uh to ex which has got g1000s so big tv screens basically in front of you telling you all the information you need in the world yeah wind included which is important at that time extremely and um we're approaching the committal point a mile away and the winds look good so we decide we're carrying on mm. so this is at oh what was it 6,800 feet I think it was so basically 7,000 feet so with every thousand feet your true airspeed so the speed the aircraft is flying mm. is two percent faster sure so 14 percent faster you're approaching at 80 knots 14 percent of 80 knots is what you're touching down at sure anyways so you're you're cooking it. You're yeah. really, really moving when you come in and land. Not only that, but we pass the committal point. 
where there's no wind, and if there's any tailwind component, our SOPs were, our operation procedures were that we go around and we try again. If there's any other, if there's any tailwind component again, right. we go, yeah. we don't do it. Yeah. Because of how short and dangerous it is. And this strip has killed a lot of people at the time. Mm. You know, in the past 40 years that people have been landing there. So we pass the committal point, all is good, and then we're about halfway through, so, you know, half a mile final, which is 50 feet, 100 feet before the touchdown threshold, and we look, and we see that there's five to six knots tailwind. Hmm. By this point, we're locked into a valley, which is, the peaks are 3,000, 4,000 feet above us. So you're not getting out of it. You cannot get around. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't say that earlier on, but yeah, these points, the committal point, you pass, if you go full power of passing that point, um, you can't outclimb the terrain that's around mm. you, so you're dead Yeah. either way. Anyway, so we're committed, and uh, we see that we've got a five-knot tailwind. <laughs> so holy shit, we're freaking out. Powers are obviously already at idle well before they need to be. We see our ground speed is a lot faster than it should be. <laughs> right, right. And against the, yeah, the the flight manual, we're cracking beta and trying to get the thing on the ground. We get rid of flaps. We get we're pulling beta. So you're doing thing, everything you possibly can to slow this thing down. Yeah, yeah. And it's not slowing down. We touch down anyway. We've got full reverse. So the EX has got 867 horsepower from memory. Um, we're pulling full reverse like, as far as it can go. Full brakes, and I've got a but. I've got a GoPro, which I happened to push record on of a course. minute prior. Of course. I've lost that footage now because I dropped the hard drive. But I'd pushed record, and those brakes <laughs> were locked up. From the moment we touched down, they were locked up. In reverse, and I'm in the right scene just going, we are dead. We're absolutely dead. <laughs> we're moving. Um, What was it? So... It's a 30-degree runway. So yeah. It goes 30 degrees up, and then it levels off. Now, the level off is where the parking area is. <laughs> and the parking area is about 15 meters long. Or, yeah, from where it levels off from 30 right. degrees to level is th- uh, about 15 meters. Okay. Which is about two and a half times the length of the aircraft. Yeah. <clears throat> so, we... Are doing 45 knots where it levels off. Like bef- just before it levels off, we're doing 45 knots. Which, for those of you that are not pilots, is it's about 70k an hour. It's fucking fast. <laughs> it's plenty fast. It's with, plenty fast enough to squirt both these guys out of the windscreen. With full reverse, full brakes, and then we hit that change in uh, launch ramp. <laughs> yeah, we hit that whatever the freak the changes from 30 degrees to level, and my our stomachs go through the roof. Oof. And I'm just thinking, we are dead for sure. We're going to get airborne. We're going so fast, we're going to get airborne and launch straight into that rock wall that's right there. Ooh. And thank whatever the powers above are. All right. We go up, we go down, and whatever comes down is obviously a lot heavier than it was. Uh, yep. So braking is a lot more efficient. And... Thankfully, that brought us to a stop. Oof. Now, obviously, b- beside the fact that you came up quite short and barely walked away from that 15 one. 15 centimeters short of a rock. 15 centimeters. Prop. 
Now, did you have, <laughs> were you carrying cargo or passengers? Passengers. Oh, 12 Jesus. Of, 12 of them behind Fucking us. Fucking Christ. Yeah. Now, what was their reaction? They were silent. I was silent. From <laughs> halfway up the runway, I just looked at them and went, you've killed us, bro. We are dead, as can be. I, I asked why the, the um, how the passengers reacted because I flew for about two and a half years for Seaborne Airlines in the Virgin Islands. And uh, especially when I was brand new over there, I was scared dramatically more than 98% of the passengers because these passengers would take these hops between St. Thomas and St. Croix every single day, twice oh, yeah. a day they for work. They chill about it. Yeah. So Absolutely. they had seen literally everything yeah. so you couldn't rattle these people meanwhile i'm one of the fucking pilots and yeah. i'm shitting my <laughs> pants uh so it's it's kind of funny because you had a similar experience just yeah. much more hardcore most of the time it was just uh, crazy winds and turbulence that i had to deal with i mean that's pretty that's pretty intense dude yeah what, i mean we at what point were you going fuck i should have just been an instructor oh man <laughs> the entire like two weeks after that i can imagine we no. shut down. So this was the first flight of the day because of how not, what, what I was saying earlier right. about the winds. So this is the first flight of the day. We did 14 flights after that. So I think we did like seven, seven hours of flight. Wow. And the flight to get there was an hour. So we had maybe six or seven legs to go. Yeah. All in Denali strips, the same, same kind of um, extremity. Now, we landed. He managed to pull it up 15 centimeters short of a rock, which when we were pulling full reverse with a propeller that you can't see in front of you, mm. with a rock sticking out in front of you, you, you think that that propeller is going to stick it at sure. any time. Oh, yeah. It's just going to go. Boom. <laughs> Spark, yeah. boom, you are dead because yeah. you've got 1,000 gallons of fuel on board. Oh, yeah. 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 So I'm just looking at it going, we're done for. I'm silent. He manages to pull it up full reverse, boom, pulls it up. Now, the GoPro footage that I had on board, the aircraft is pulling so much reverse, 867 horsepower, that it pulls a wheelie. <laughs> it pulls a wheelie. The nose wheel comes about a meter off the ground, and then it slams on the ground and then starts reversing. Right. So the aircraft <laughs> Jesus is Christ. doing a whole lot of work to bring that thing to a stop, and we came that short of it. Man, oh man, oh man. Anyway, he um ah, he is a two or three thousand hour pilot. Turns the thing around and he forgets how to shut it down. Oh yeah. He does I don't doubt it. No I don't idea doubt how to shut it down. All you need to do is feather the prop and then shut it down. Yeah. Well, He's people, just sh sitting there for four or five minutes, going, "Oh, oh yeah. God, how do I fucking shut it?" Down? I don't. I don't think people. Qu they don't quite understand that, uh, especially with a situation like that, where you come through something so gnarly. When you know you're safe, and the aircraft isn't moving anymore, and you're secure, your brain wants to cave in on itself. Yeah, it's done for. Because I've done my job. Yeah, yeah. Well, and especially when uh, you know you you fly the rest of that day and you've got you know however many more legs and seven more yeah. hours of flying, people have no idea <laughs> how much uh, flying involves being able to control your level of freak out. Yeah. Because every leg you must have been going, 
I don't fucking want to do this. I, I have no desire to fly that plane. And, and I've had similar experiences where I've had scary flights and you have that uh, that moment where you are back on the ground and you're safe and you have to ask yourself, is this really what I want to fucking do with my life? Absolutely. Man. Oh, like, my God. The remaining, let's say, two or three legs, the two of us were just looking at each other. <laughs> and I'm looking at mountains, yep. pointing at them, just going, Wow. Yeah. How am I even alive to experience what I'm looking at right now? Does give you And a... then he's we're looking at each other speechless. Yep. Just looking at each other going, Yep. Holy shit, this is incredible. And we don't have to say a word. No. Because no. we know what we've just experienced. Oh and, and that we're still alive, you yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well and I've had I've had uh, not close calls quite like that, but I have uh, definitely had close calls. In fact one of the ones that I had was flying um multi crew and with passengers and and uh, um we were flying in between two islands, and uh, I was uh, sitting in the right seat, non-flying pilot, so I'm just doing the radios and basically doing paperwork. And I'm looking down doing paperwork, and the flying pilot's taking care of everything. It's our last two legs of the day. It's uh, like 11 o'clock at night, uh, and we're out over open water. And uh, we're flying along, happy as can be. I'm doing my paperwork, and, and we're chit-chatting back and forth just a little bit. And it's a short hop. It's 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm about three-quarters of the way through my paperwork, and I'm just being lazy about it. And I look out the window, and it's a beautiful night. It's crystal clear out. There's not a cloud in the sky. It's not windy at all. And I'm looking out at just blackness because there's not much of a moon either. There's, so there's nothing for – no horizon or nothing. It's basically instrument flying. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, as I'm looking out, I, I can see this intermittent, like, green glow. I'm like, that's really weird. I assume, all right, well, it must be, you know, the lights of the plane, but how are we, is it kind of foggy? It doesn't look foggy. How am I seeing the lights? And then it dawns on me, I'm seeing the green from the position lights reflecting off the water. <laughs> no way. And I look at the uh, instruments. You, what? I, oh, yeah. I'm looking at the instruments and we're descending I, through. I, I was. I had a big smile just going on then because <laughs> I thought you were looking at Northern Lights. No, I wish. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm looking at the position lights. And for those of you that don't know, aircraft have a, a red light on one wing and, a, no and a, yeah, a green light on the other one. So I was seeing the reflection of that off the water was we're descending through to. 200 feet unknowingly. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and At what speed? Um, We're doing like 140 knots. Holy shit. Yeah. So, and I kind of <laughs> shit myself, but I, I don't want to spook him. And I'm, I'm spooked. So, all I could manage to burp out was altitude. <laughs> <laughs> to which, to which I hear, uh, oh, Oh, shit. And then uh, you feel the correction as he pitches back up, and we did not speak for the rest of that flight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we did the uh, the debarking of the plane. We got the plane emptied and got everybody out and got the next passengers on and barely spoke on the way back and landed and shook hands after the, the last leg and went, yeah, so – Okay, yeah, and neither of us wanted to talk about it, and I think it was probably almost a year went by before either of us went, yeah, so that kind of sucked, huh? <laughs> yeah, to the T, man, to yeah. the T, that's yeah. what happened on that day. Yeah, and you just literally go, all right, well, cool, I'm not dead, and I should be. From the day, from the moment that we looked at that mountain, yeah. we looked at each other, we still didn't say a word. Yeah, no. We looked at each other and went, we're alive. Yeah, it's yeah, it doesn't incredible. Doesn't need to be said. We it, did another seven hours of flying. Yeah, 
every single word that was said were operational. Oh, so yeah. Oh, yeah. Flaps yeah. 10 degrees. Yeah. Flaps 10 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Props forward. Props forward. Yes. That's it. There will be no joviality. There's, there was, there was no, <laughs> no, we are not. Little here talk for, or anything. No. For, yeah. No. Well, and, and skydivers. a lot when we're flying. Of course. <laughs> well, and, and skydivers will understand for sure, um, but especially pilots, you have those moments, you know, and, and uh, it snaps you back to just how fucking serious and how yeah. hardcore because we do get it's very very easy to get not complacent but just relaxed you know i don't i don't consider myself a complacent pilot at all but i do get very relaxed i mean with I you know you do the same thing over and over again and it takes very little to snap you back slap you across the face and go hey fuck stick <laughs> yeah. this yeah. shit is this shit is serious man <laughs> A plane. <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal, and and I know you're you're the same as me. I I take my my job and my responsibility to that very seriously, because I've had circumstances in my past. You know, we joke around about about the you flying around in your underwear and all that shit. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, especially on that flight, this is all taking place in stable you know positions of flight when you got to take a piss. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you're fucking wearing. You know, no, we're still no. doing the job and doing it correctly. Yeah. Uh, but it's it, when you have those opportunities to get a bit of a giggle out of it, you take it, but you take it in the context that it yeah. is, which for us makes it that much fucking funnier. <laughs> you know, makes it that much fucking. You know, sure. like you and I have worked together on on drop zones, and and uh, when we're flying together, and God forbid we're on the same radio frequency, the manifest and ground control are that. ready to fucking kill us. <laughs> yeah. um, I have heard. I've well, already mentioned multiple times we need a, yeah. we need our own frequency. Oh, more more you than me. I have I have personally witnessed no, Manifest no, asking you to man. shut up at get least half a dozen lost. times. In fact, very recently we were flying together and I heard Manifest go, all right, Ty. And that's all they said and you shut up instantly because you know you're just triggered. That's it. And I, was, I was waiting for your response, but I yeah. noticed that you didn't respond. I went, oh. No, no I was going to let you take the bullet on that one. I was tipped the mark. Well, right. well, this was this coming from the guy who I've listened to you sing the entire fucking Major Tom song over the air in one microphone key more times than I can count. And for anybody that isn't a pilot, that means that he pushed the button once, which means no one else can talk. And all you can hear is this guy horribly butchering David Bowie's oh, Major horribly. Tom. Come horribly. Horribly. Majestic. <laughs> <laughs> Majestically butchering. Now, all that being said, we get to have that kind of fun while still being very professional in the way that you're flying the aircraft. But it's <laughs> tough. It's tough to match the fuck stick that's singing Major Tom with a competent pilot at the same time. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. And people think I've we say, people yeah. think we spend a whole lot of time screwing around up there, and they don't realize just how truly busy. And all the jump pilots listening will agree with me how truly busy shit can get. Uh, I had. A, a former jumper turned pilot sent me a message I think a couple of years after he had been flying and he did a bit like you he went straight through a college program uh, all the way to ATP and started flying jets and I think the first plane he was actively flying for work was a 737 mm. uh, and uh, he sent me a message shortly after he did that and he's he, the message in a nutshell said I always thought you were just being lazy and fucking around up there I've never been more tired in my entire life than after a day of flying. And I went, ah, thank you. Welcome to the club. Yeah. And people don't realize. It's exhausting. So you kind of sure. take your little mental breaks when you can. Yeah. 
For sure. Which, which is, is tapping that button and talking shy. That people, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to listen to you. Yeah. Well, now, you, you also became, you finally became an avid jumper. I know this because I've watched you destroy skydives firsthand. <laughs> For sure. You tried to pull my shoe off me. I did. I did. I don't know why I ended up, why did I end up with the obsession of fucking with your shoes? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure how that happened. But you anyway. You still got it, though. You still got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Every chance I get. But uh, yeah, on this particular skydive, I, I was bound and determined we were doing a head up jump and i was bound and determined to take that shoe off of you and i couldn't get it off but i managed to grab you and throw you all around the sky which was quite fun i did enjoy that so you you, uh you managed to survive papua and you end up um working back in in the skydiving industry and and ferrying aircraft occasionally we've had the opportunity to do that a couple of times which has been awesome uh what's down the road are you still thinking airlines eventually or uh, after nine years, nine years, nine years, nine friggin' years. It's been nine years. After nine years, years. Uh, now that being said, you're still young. Yeah. So, you know, you have the opportunity still to, to take a shot at a big, you know, big boy career. Um, What's a big boy career? You know, <laughs> flying, the, flying, the, flying the jets, being a real yeah, pilot. Yeah. Is that still something you find uh, attractive uh, other than the stability? Do you, do, you, do you find the idea of going out and flying a fucking, you know, a380 is that cool to you or it's cool for sure yeah there's parts of me that think it's awesome and i i don't know i look at that machine and think that i'd love to be in in command of that um there's also another part of me that thinks the flying that i've done so far both in papua and here is the best flying that i'll do sure um so there's a part of me that regrets that I would go into the airline world, but also that I feel that what I wanted to achieve. Sure. Yeah. No, uh, I see it. When I started out, I've achieved it. Well, the the in many ways. You're in a great spot too, um, because a bit like me, I hit that itchy phase in skydiving where I went, all right, is this it? Is this all I'm going to do with, you know, my aviation career and took it to an airline and did two and a half years in a 121 airline, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was proper in the system, you know, playing the game. Although granted it was a, um, a very low key airline that I was for because it was just a very small regional in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, I, I got to experience that and went, oh yeah. Elon life, yeah, yeah, you know. So I got to do it, and you know, I've 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 been able to hop on a plane in fucking Boston and jump seat uh, to San Francisco, um, you know, because I was an airline, you know, pilot, and and uh, uh, so I got to cross that off the list, and I also got to come back to the life that I decided that yeah. I absolutely loved. And you're plenty young, so you can go have a a decent career in the airlines and still come back so, to flying. Nah, bugger that. I'm coming back here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going up and down twin times. Yeah, yeah, well, and that's me. I enjoy this type of flying way too much, and I enjoy the people that I get to deal with yeah. way too much to be able to do that. I mean, but that's, you're yeah. still young enough to want to go run around banging cabin crew and, and doing all that shit. I mean, well, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Let's... Let's just see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, man. I mean, you could you could end up having an absolutely great time uh, working for an airline with your the chief pilot of the airline betting money on you that you're going to get this particular cabin crew or that one, or you never know. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> what a brilliant airline that would be, eh? Yeah, you never know. Yeah, you never know. You never know. You Otherwise, never know. you come back to a similar company that would do the same, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. So uh, as we as we round the hour mark, I'm going to ask you. So uh, listening to the podcast, you've got somebody that's just deciding they want to start flying airplanes. Um, what advice are you going to give them for what you think they should and shouldn't do? Um, is is there a a benefit to the way that you did it in going through a school that took you all the way through commercial or um, did you find it was a drawback? You know, uh, what advice do you have for anybody that wants to go start flying? Well, for me, I was super lucky that I was able to get to commercial, Mm. get the hours that I needed. Um, Actually doing the instructor's rating helped me get a job Mm. in New Zealand itself Mm. because we had a 300 hour insurance requirement again sure. for, for skydiving right right so it got me to two, 280 290 hours I okay. think it was um, that meant that I was able to get over the hour requirement for insurance <clears throat> but in terms of yeah I think in terms of information that I give to people would be just follow what you want and hmm. what you want to do you know um well, me, I really wanted to fly skydivers. I wanted to skydive itself. So I see, knew that's that big. Getting into skydiving, or getting into flying skydivers, would get me into skydiving. Mm. Um, and then it just it went from there. It, well, it I think took me all over the world. I think uh, I suppose it's a bit of a, a weird question to ask you anyway, because if somebody's listening to this podcast, they're obviously already either involved in or interested in skydiving, um, so it's already on their radar. Uh, but if it's just a pilot that uh, it doesn't necessarily have any direction at all, it's it would be very difficult now with all the different ways you can go in aviation to decide what kind of pilot you think you want to be. Mm-hmm. And you and I are, are both, I for sure am a victim of my choices in that if I wanted to change now and go be an airline guy, I'd have a very difficult time um, being taken seriously because I've got over 11,000 hours and 300 of it are instrument. You know, I mean, I've got very little experience that the airlines want to see, but a whole lot of flying. So my resume looks like somebody that's just been having nothing but fun. Good old time. Yeah. You know, I've been basically a barnstormer, you know, for my entire career. Luckily, that's the career that I want. Um, So I suppose if I was going to give any advice to anybody listening, it's pay close attention to what direction you think you want to go. And if you want to do the airlines, but the, the skydiving thing is a great way to build hours, make sure that you're still putting in your logbook the things that those airlines are going to want to see. Um, because what I ended up with putting was... Putting in your logbook. Yeah, you know, get it done, man. I, I, I've i got, you know, three or four landings an hour going up and down in the same fucking airport for yeah. years. You know, that's that's not what an airline wants to see. So if you're thinking of getting into flying, um, make sure you're ticking all those boxes, as we've said. It's kind of important. Mm. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, the adventure side of it for me has been fucking epic. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Like skydiving has been, there's no way I'd look back at what I've done and think that I've regretted it. No, hell no. Um, I was lucky enough that I got IFR time when I was in, in, in Papua. Mm. Um, so I got a few hundred hours doing that and the airlines would look well upon that. Sure. Um, as well as the skydiving flying and the, and the, and the jungle flying that I've been doing. Sure. Um, as well as the fact that they... They see jungle flying as a as a renegade type of flying. Mm. 
However, people that have been there, you know, flown in sure. the jungle, see that if you are not sticking to sops and you don't stick to things that are meant to be done, oh yeah, it ends up in one thing and one thing only. Well, that's the and big thing too. Um, the type of flying that you did in Papua uh, looks much better to an airline over the type of flying that I've done because you're two crew. Uh, so it's, you know, it's multi-pilot, uh, which is a big deal. It's multi-crew, it's, it's crew resource management. It's all the things that they want to see and it's damn good training. And it's why I'm very, very glad that I had the opportunity to, yeah. to do the, uh, the time that I did with Seaborn. Yeah, uh, I've absolutely. since gone on to, uh, you know, a larger aircraft flying a Sherpa and such that is two crew required. Uh, and it's falling back to the airline stuff that I was taught that's invaluable. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Very yeah. cool. And it's again, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's a good thing to look back on and and be able to say, especially for you, if you decide to go onto the airlines, you've kind of ticked the boxes for all the crazy, wild, fun stuff, and you can do that, and you can always come back this direction. Yeah, exactly. Which is cool. I mean, for me, I feel content that I've ticked sure. those boxes. Oh yeah. And all the things that I wanted to do before I started flying, and then, you know, now it's just airlines and yeah, yeah. If that doesn't satisfy me, then I can come back to it. But if it does, then we carry on doing. Hell yeah. Full power to that. So, uh, and uh, as we finish up, uh, skydives. How many skydives have you got? <clears throat> oh, I came here with 70, and I've got, oh, <laughs> I actually don't know. I've got no idea because I stopped logging when it was about 220. Jesus so. <laughs> Christ. Yeah, because that's the number you should stop logging at. Well, I mean, well, if, it, if it makes you feel better, you definitely <laughs> You definitely, your skill level shows at least someone with 70 jobs. <laughs> I've been approached by multiple people who said, you need to continue logging your jumps. Yes, yes, yes. It's uh, kind of important. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but, but you're, you're, I, I, I got somewhere between 200 and 300 All right, jumps. very good, very good. But so you're, you're, you, you kind of ticked off all the, everything that you wanted to do. You're, you're a working pilot and you're a skydiver now. Yeah. So you achieved those goals and, and now it's just onwards and upwards. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know what I want to do in skydiving. <laughs> I'd like, I, I'd, somebody asked me the other day that, uh, whether I'd like to teach people how to skydive or not. And I think because of my instructional experience with flying, right. I'd like to translate that to skydiving. Sure. I think obviously it it, it sort of correlates a lot. Probably going to need to uh, update that logbook. Yeah, I think to say a few hundred more jumps than I've got. <laughs> anyway, no one in the history. We're happy. Is... We're happy that we've got two drop zones. Yeah. Yeah. We can just. Ask for the <laughs> jump history. And, um, yes, luckily modern technology with most drop, most drop zones, they track your jumps for you. So when you're a lazy bastard, you can actually. How yeah. many jumps do I have? Sorry. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> oh, well, they can give it to you to the T's. They can. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. everyone, everyone. No well, problem. <laughs> Ty, I'll tell you what. To, in order to say goodbye this time, I put the glass down. Oh. Um, I think you've had quite enough anyway. Here's the guitar. I want you to pick one Sorry last song for that party that thought I was mumbling and no, no, you're slurring at this point. Cleary and slurring and speaking Cleary or speaking Cleary. All right, so <laughs> now, first off, from from my audience, I'll have you know he asked 
to have too much to drink for this podcast. We have done this a couple of times before. <laughs> two times. But yeah, two times before. But apparently putting a microphone in Ty is like dropping your cock in his face. He just seizes up. <laughs> no. So apparently I speak well, apparently. Apparently I <laughs> So you're just gonna want to sing now. Apparently apparently the two of us, when we get together, we speak a lot of shit. Yeah, we we, we definitely a, mi- a microphone should not get in our way. <laughs> it shouldn't, but it does for you. But when we speak, and I haven't had anything to drink. Yeah, well, you've definitely had a bit this time. Things get you, in our way. It so. is so. One last song, and I wanted it to be a happy song uh, to sing us out. All right, so go. What do you got? Well, you done done me and you bet I felt it Try to be chill, be your so hot that I melted Fell right through the cracks And I'm just trying to get back Before the cool down my night I'd be giving it my bestest Nothing's gonna stop me but an intervention I reckon it's getting my turn To win some or learn some But I won't Hesitate no more, no more. This cannot wait. I'm sure there's no need to complicate. Our time is short. It cannot wait. I'm yours. <laughs> It open up the mind and see like me. It open up the plans and then you're free. Look into your heart and you'll sign love, love. I mean, find. Look into the music, every moment people dance and sing. We're this one big family. It's our God-forsaken right to be love, 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 love. So I want <laughs> Our time is short. This is our fate. I'm sure there's no need to. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as Enziero Sports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, Check out SummitParachuteSystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. By Flyaway Indoor Skydiving. Go to FlyawayTN.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. 
by Pure Spectrum CBD. Head to PureSpectrumCBD.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the LunaticFringePodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available. Hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Get on, get on, get on.